Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him so he healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. I uh, was delighted to get the request from Pastor Grant to preach. Uh, I love to uh, be in churches and I, I love to preach. And uh, what sealed the deal was when I found out it was Cinnamon Roll Sunday. <laughs> I just have to be honest with you. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, anoint these words so that they will have the effectiveness that only you can give them and that we would hear and receive your word this day for each and every one of us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Some called it a Christmas miracle. Others called it a Christmas spectacle. On December 17, 1996, in Clearwater, Florida, rainbow swirls formed a familiar shape on the glass exterior of the um, Seminole Finance Corporation building. There she was, stretching two stories high across the building at the corner of Route 19 and Drew Street. The Virgin Mary, or at least what many believe to be a holy image of Jesus' mom. That 60-foot image, apparently caused by residue from sprinklers that routinely splashed up against the windows, became such a popular shrine for tourists and visitors that the bank inside the building had to close. The, the visitors and the tourists were constant such that there had to be around-the-clock police trafficking the, the, the crowds, constant police presence. It all came to a crashing halt in 2004 when an angry teenager threw a rock against the glass, shattering the image. 
Of course, Clearwater wasn't the first, there won't be the last place where some kind of religious apparition, apparition, excuse me, is uh, seen. Back in 1978, a New Mexican woman noticed the mournful face of Jesus in the skillet markings on her tortilla. More than 8,000 people journeyed to see the tortilla. In 2004, a grilled cheese sandwich with the image of the Virgin Mary ended up selling on eBay, wait for it, $24,000. You might hear in my voice a little skepticism even ridicule. But hey, if even one of these sightings brought one person to Christ, then I'm all for it. I take it all back, but seriously. What could possibly drive thousands to search for Jesus on a burrito or for Mary in a cheese sandwich? In the fourth century, Christian philosopher St. Augustine explained it this way. Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Philosopher Pascal wrote this in the 17th century. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man and each woman which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. That God-shaped vacuum is in each one of us. We have been hardwired to find true life, to find ourselves in alignment with the heart of God. And until we do, there is always something tugging, tugging, tugging at our hearts. Sometimes we're so out of touch with that that we don't even know what that tug is all about or where it's coming from. So we look everywhere else on the planet in, in our, our finances or in our relationships or in vacations or you name it, drugs and alcohol or busyness. It's as if we're on a mission to fill the void with everything but God. Still, he never gets up, gives up. He keeps tugging and tugging and tugging. Why? Because God wants to have a personal relationship with us. He loves us and he wants to spend his time with us. And that's where prayer comes in. If daily prayer is not, a, is not a part of your life, I can't wait till it is. I can't wait for you to discover what's in store for you. I can tell you this, when you do start spending daily time in prayer with God, you will never be the, the same. My friends, I can guarantee that money back. Maybe you want to pray, but it's a struggle. 
I know there are times in my prayer life where it's kind of an on-again, off-again battle. Show of hands. How many of you can say your prayer life is a consistent daily habit, rich and full and spiritually satisfying? No, wait, don't raise your hand. No, I don't. Let, let, let me ask it a different way. When was the last time you had a genuine heart-to-heart -heart talk with God? Good. Early works best. That's right. And for the record, praying for a parking space close to the Schnooks entrance does not count. Nor does praying for the Cubs to win the World Series again. I know you think this Cardinal should win, but yes, I'm a Cubs fan. Yes, yes. Be honest. Do you pray? Do you really pray that Shut out the world one-on-one, -on -one, totally focused and listening kind of prayer. Communication with your heavenly Father who loves you and wants to spend time with you. Jesus modeled that for us. He made that the greatest priority of his life. It was such a priority that he turned people away. He left crowds of very needy people, people who needed his healing badly in all kinds of, of ways, who needed healing and forgiveness and wisdom. As the scripture said this morning, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. You think we're busy? You think how busy Jesus must have been. He told the guy, don't tell anybody, but what did the guy do? Of course, he went and told everybody, and the crowds just getting large, got larger and larger. The verse starts with but, because the verse before it read, now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad, and many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Everywhere he went, he was followed by crowds, by masses of people needing things from him. His appointment book would have been filled every day. He would have gotten text messages all day and all night. His, his email message box would be constantly full and crash. Now, this might be a good time to, to throw out a few statistics about prayer, like how many people pray and, and uh, uh, how often they do it and what, what, uh, how it's affected their lives. And there are plenty of those stats out there. But in the end, it really doesn't matter because my desire is for you to have a robust prayer life, a daily walk with God in prayer. That's my heart's desire because I know that there is an intimate, precious treasure that we receive when we spend that time with God. Jesus knew that very well. So instead of statistics, I thought we'd take a different tact this morning, and we would look at the excuses Christians have for not praying. 
Now, author Diane Moody in her book offers a humorous take at the most common excuses we give. But despite the humor, she's right, right on. So here are the top 10 excuses. Number 10, I have bad knees. Everybody knows it doesn't count if you're not kneeling when you pray. I'm not even going to say anything about that. That's silly. Uh, number nine, well, my pastor prays on Sunday, and that just kind of covers it. No, 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 no. There's no piggyback prayer coverage. Number eight, God's got his hands full with tornadoes and the coronavirus and the U.S. Congress. No. God's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's right. That's right. He does. Number seven, prayer is a private matter between me and God, so I don't need to make excuses to anyone. Uh-huh. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Number six, if God knows my every thought, why do I have to tell him? He's either omniscient or he's not. Well, that's convenient. Five, it's a waste of time. It doesn't change a thing. I prayed for a pony when I was five years old, and I never got it, and I've been praying for world peace, and, well, we can see how that's working out. Really? Four, I can never stay focused. My mind wanders. I think that's an insult to God. I don't want to insult him, so I'm not going to pray. Clever. Got to admit, that's clever. Number three, I just don't know what to say. Too awkward. Well, my friend, so was learning to go potty when you were two, but you kept at it and you're not in diapers, right? Excuse number two. I'm lazy. There, I said it. Are you satisfied? Yes, yes, I am satisfied. Yes, that's more honest. And the number one reason for not praying, da, 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 the number one reason for not praying is I don't have time. I'm too busy. Oh, right. The world will stop spinning if you don't get your little to-do list done today, right? Excuses, excuses. Here's the news flash. God created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. That's why he made you. Prayer is about making that relationship a priority. So it's strong and it's vital and it's healthy. So you are strong and vital and healthy. Prayer is about drawing near to your heavenly father who wants to know you and to be known by you. Let's go back and make another run-through of the excuses. See what we can find. I'm going to skip 10 and, and 9 because they're just too silly. So we'll start with 8. Excuse 8 was that God's got bigger problems than my little problems. Well, well sure he does. But he still cares about each one of us. 
in Jeremiah 31, 3, he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In Zechariah 3, 17, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God wants to sing to you. No detail of our lives is too small for God. Seven prayers of private matter, yes, yes, it's personal for sure. Jesus said as much when he said pray in secret. But God is interested in you. He's interested in your heart, in your worries, in your joys. He wants you to pour out your heart to him. And he will listen intently and lovingly. Number six, as for him already knowing what you're going to say, well, I guess I need to, to tell you again that God created human beings to love them, to have a relationship with them. Think about it. He's God. He can create anything he wants. He can have anything he wants. So, so the point is, God has anything he wants, so he doesn't need us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wanted us. That's why he made us. He created us to be in relationship with him. Prayer is about getting close to God, to having a strong and vital and healthy relationship Number five, prayer is useless. So, okay, you prayed for a pony when you were five and you didn't get one. Believe me, I think we could all share stories about things we have prayed for that we didn't get, some of which probably turned out to be a good thing. This is a transactional view of prayer. This is about what I'm going to get out of a relationship. But prayer is so much more than that. So much more than giving God a wish list. God is not Santa Claus. Prayer is about time spent in a relationship. This is what I want you to hear. If you get nothing else, hear this. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is time spent talking and listening to God. The fact is, God always answer our, answers our prayers. Sometimes he doesn't answer them the way we want them to. But our challenge is to accept that and to trust him even more. Number four, the excuse that you can't stay focused. Well, Welcome to the club, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Who does stay focused? The trick is you, you just got to get organized. You got to get help. And I don't mean go to a counselor. I mean, just have things nearby. If you're always thinking of, of things you need to do, have a piece of paper ready to write them down and then get back to it. If you see your mind wandering, then you just recognize that and you just get back to it. You don't give up. You keep at it. Remember, God's word says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you hear God calling you into a relationship with him? Do you hear that? God is reaching out to you. 
And he's promised to respond personally if you will start the conversation. If you draw near to him. Here's another verse where God is saying the same thing. From Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Take him at his word. Don't give up. Don't miss the blessing. Number three, don't know what to pray. Well, you know what? Boiled down to the essence, there's two kinds of prayer. Help and thanks. So that's a great way to start. Just start telling God where you need help. Thank him for the help he has provided. Thank him for all the other blessings. I hope you're well aware of, of these things, where you need help and, and where you need to thank God. We'll talk a little more about a how-to later. Number two, the excuse of laziness. We're all lazy. We're all lazy in one way or the other. In fact, if you strip away all these excuses that I've already mentioned, it kind of all boils down to laziness may show up in different disguises, but we're all lazy when it comes time to giving our time to God. And furthermore, the number one excuse of I'm too busy is just a culturally correct way of making an excuse and excusing our laziness. Busyness is the uh, you know, generally accepted excuse that, that we uh, all use today. Is it just the inescapable way of life in the 21st century America? Christian author of the book Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller, addressed the subject. I believe the greatest trick of the devil is not to get us in some sort of evil, but rather have us wasting time. We seem to be a nation and a people who do not slow down. It's as if we don't know how. That is until stress catches up with us and, and we go down with exhaustion or a heart attack or nervous breakdown or a lot of other stress-related things. Carving out time to pray does not come easy. I, I acknowledge that. If you're serious about doing this prayer thing on a daily basis, it's going to require some discipline. And here is when we talk about Susanna Wesley. Any good United Methodist preacher talking about prayer at some point has to talk about Susanna Wesley because here is this woman, John Wesley, the founder of, of Methodism, his mother. She had 19 children, nine of which survived, don't you think she could have easily said, prayer? Are you kidding me? I don't think so. But she didn't. She would assign the older children who was to take care of the younger children, and then she would pull up a chair in the middle of her kitchen, sit down on it, flip the apron over her head, and spend time in prayer. I've read that sometimes she spent as much as two hours in prayer. So that just blew all of our excuses out of the water. God, who is your creator, your heavenly father, 
your Lord, your defender, has extended a personal invitation to you for you to join him in a chat, not just today, but every day, every day of your life. So what is it going to be? Will you willingly ignore his invitation? Will your good intentions get lost in a flurry of to-do things? Or will you plan ahead making sure that you don't miss the opportunity of a lifetime to spend time with your heavenly Father and give it the priority it deserves? It's up to you. It's up to you how serious you are about your prayer life. Do you sincerely desire a personal relationship with God? Or are you just saying that, you know, yeah, yeah, I want that just because that's what we're supposed to say. If we don't even have the desire to pray, what does that say about us? Imagine being head over heels in love with someone but really not wanting to spend any time with them. What kind of love is that? So when we say we love God yet make no time for him in our lives, I have to ask, how important is the Lord to you in your life? Anything that is more important than God is God to you. I'm going to say it again. Anything that is more important than God to you is God to you. Let me just get, uh, come to the, the close, a little closer to the close. I want to give you a couple prayer tips. And you may be very familiar with this, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it's a great guideline, it's a great framework for your prayers. A, starting with A, is it any wonder that this prayer starts with adoration? Prayer begins with giving glory to God for who he is, for recognizing his greatness and his loving kindness and his patience with you and forgiveness and grace day after day. See his confession. Ask God to forgive your sins. And this is where you need to get real specific to make it meaningful. T is thanksgiving, expressing appreciation for what God has done for you and for the many things that he has done. And last is supplication. This is where you pray for the needs of yourself and for the needs of others. And you have to admit, it's a great guideline. And I would just suggest that when you are on supplication, that you include a prayer that God would help you to make prayer a daily habit. Pray, God, show me how to spend time every day in prayer. Show me how to slow down and be quiet in your presence. Show me how to listen as much as I talk. God, create a hunger in my heart to spend time with you. Okay, now I want to close with something that Jesus told his disciples. One day, Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd showed up. Surprise. 
They'd heard of his miracles and they were anxious to see him and to hear him. Jesus saw two boats and climbed into one of them and told a fisherman named Peter to put that boat out into the water. And Peter did that and then Jesus sat down in the boat and began addressing the crowd. When he finished speaking, he told Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Peter answered, Master, we've worked all hard all night and haven't caught anything because this was the time at night was when they got their, their biggest catch. Peter continued, but, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Do you hear that, what Jesus said? Put out into deep water. Other translations say, launch out into the deep. There's a truth that I don't want us to miss. If only we will go deeper in our trust of God, in our faith in him, giving him more of our time, the more wonders we will behold in our lives. Things so far beyond our imagination that we can hardly comprehend. What will it take for you to go deep with God? What's stopping you? God has extended a personal invitation to each and every one of us to join him for a chat, and not just today, but every day. God has made him, God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until we make that connection with him through prayer. I pray that you accept this wonderful, glorious blessing of invitation. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have given us life. You have made us for yourself. Convict us in our hearts and mind that there is no better use of our time than to draw near to you, to spend time in prayer with you. Let us claim this treasure you offer. In your most holy name we pray. Amen.